morning everyone. Good to see you. And um, if you're visiting, hope you're enjoying being with us. You're really, really welcome to be here. Oh, is this on for you? We just stick my first uh, slide on so I can just check that's working. No, it's not. Okay, here we go. There we go. So, great. Now then, um, kids back in school this week. And if you've ever had anything to do with children, which we all have, because we all were one, you will know that children have a, a very like, keen sense of fairness, don't they? They are very aware of what is and what isn't fair. You know, who went first last week? He's got more biscuits than me. There's more squash in his cup than my cup, etc., etc. They have a very keen sense of fairness. And if you've, if, you've got, if you've got brothers and sisters as well growing up, then you will know that, you know, this is something that gets discussed a lot in the household growing up. So for me, I've got two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. And as everyone knows, the younger sibling gets off the lightest. Who's in agreement with that? Give me a cheer if that's your experience. <laughs> no, I don't need to do But, uh, okay, well, one story for you, okay? So when we were growing up, my older sister, Rachel, really wanted to get her ears pierced. And the problem with Rachel, though, was that she was a very like hyperactive child. She was, you know, busy, 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 busy. And she was, could be at times a little clumsy as well. So she split her knee open twice. She split her head open once and was continually back and forth to the hospital for stitches and other things. So my parents were envisaging, you know, there's like nightmare stories that teachers would tell you in school about don't get your ears pierced because you'll be running around in the playground and get caught in someone else's jumper and your ear will get ripped off. So my parents took these advice on board and said to Rachel, you can get your ears pierced when you go up to comprehensive school thinking, you know, by then, you'll calm down a little bit, you won't be running around in the playground, and you'll come home from school with both ears at the end of the day. So the summer before secondary school, Rachel goes, gets her ears pierced, etc., etc. Roll on a few years later, Chloe's about eight years old, and she would like to get her ears pierced. And uh, it's one summer holiday, and, you know, we were in uh, Exmouth or something, I think, and there was, like, an offer on in a shop as they walked past, get your ears pierced, and Mum and Chloe are out, and a few hours later, Chloe comes home, ears pierced, yes, three years ahead of the allotted schedule, isn't that terrible? And that's a classic one, so we always bring that one up, and, uh, but to be fair to Rachel, you know, she took it well, and, uh, and Chloe, she wasn't as... Busy, busy, busy as Rachel. Anyway, so, you know. Um, and to be fair to Chloe as well, she had to put up with a lot. So when we were little, I'll just give you another one. So, so when we were little, my parents used to buy these um, multi-pack yogurts, like kids' ones, Munch Bunch yogurts. And uh, obviously everyone likes the strawberry one. And no one would want to eat the orange one. Okay, so what me and Rachel used to do is we would swap the lids. And, uh, and so Chloe would end up with the orange one. So, you know, you know it's, it, it goes both ways. I get it, I get it. But anyway, so this sense of it's not fair, okay, you see it a lot in children growing up and stuff. It's a bit funny. But also it, it kind of can live with us a little bit as adults as well, can't it? And today we're continuing our series on Jesus' stories, Jesus' parables. And this parable uh, we're going to look at today, I think is like a real antidote to that it's not fair feeling that sometimes, you know, rises up um, in us. And for me, this story, I remember hearing it uh, maybe as a teenager or something, and it's one that's really stuck in the memory and in my mind. And when these moments come, it, it kind of 
reorientates my heart, and I find it really helpful, and I hope you will as, as well. And it speaks of God's amazing generosity to us as individuals and as people and as people together, and how God invites us to live with that heart towards others in our daily lives. So we'll have a look at it together. So it's in Matthew's Gospel, and it's in chapter 20, but it's in a little section in Matthew's Gospel where... Um, People have been asking Jesus lots of questions, and it's basically answering the question of what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus, and what does it mean to follow him? And so at one point, the disciples have come to him and said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, who's going to get the top job? And Jesus says, well, you know, to make yourself like a child and and be humble, and if you want to be the greatest, then you need to be a servant of all. And Jesus is kind of reorientating their thinking. And then Peter comes up and says, how many times should I forgive someone who's against me seven times and Peter thinks he's being really generous because often the teaching then was you know forgive someone three times and Peter's like well I'll double that and add one seven times and Jesus says no not seven times but 70 times seven and he's like changing their thought process on you know the values of the world and the values of the kingdom of heaven and and who Jesus is and then you get this in Matthew 19, a rich young ruler comes to meet with Jesus, and he was a wealthy man, he would have been respected, and he comes to Jesus and he asks him a question, says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he says, you know, I've kept all the laws since I was a boy, but what else must I do? What must I do to have eternal life? And he, he wants to kind of grasp it himself in his own strength and with his own power. And Jesus looks at him and in Luke it says, Jesus loved him. And Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And at that, the rich young ruler says he walks away sad because he had many possessions. And in that moment, Jesus just kind of exposes his heart and also, you know, in our lives as well, that none of us are perfect, You know, none of us are perfect, and we can't attain eternal life and God's love by our own power and strength and by doing the, you know, the right things and having a great CV, and, you know, we can't do it in our own achievements, but it's a gift from God because God loves us, and we are important to him, and he values us, and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you know, humanly speaking, it's impossible to have eternal life, but with God, everything is possible, and that's because God loves us so much, and he wants to be a part of our lives. Just like Sean said, God is close to us, and he loves you, and you're important to him, and that's why Jesus came into the world, to show us that very thing, that God isn't far away, but that God is close, and that God cares about us, and so much so that he would become a person person himself and experience all the difficulties and troubles of life that we go through and all the way that he would even give his own life on the cross for us, that he would die for us because the things that we've done wrong, they lead to death and it keeps us separate from God, but God doesn't want that. So Jesus died himself, but Jesus had done nothing wrong and so God raised him to life again and Jesus conquered death so that death wouldn't have to be the end for anyone, but anyone now, when we put our trust in Jesus and 
not in our own achievements or being a good person or having the right things or having the right clothes like Chloe and Russo. When we put our trust in Jesus, he forgives us for the things we've done wrong. He comes into our lives. He fills our hearts with God's love. He loves us already, but he fills our hearts with his love so we can feel it and know it and experience it. And he gives us the gift of eternal life so we can be with God forever and one another, which is amazing. Just like it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so this rich young ruler, he wanted to do it, you know, in his own strength, in his own achievements. He was like, look at me, you know, I'm, I'm a ruler. I've got money. I've done all the right things. What must I do? And Jesus says, trust in me and follow me. And that is the way. But Peter and the other disciples, they're watching this now. And in their culture at the time, you know, the idea was that if you were wealthy or if you were in power, then that meant that you'd been blessed by God. And so now they're watching this rich young ruler walk away from Jesus, and they're thinking to themselves, well, if this rich young ruler, you know, if that's kind of not what it is, then what about us? Like, you know, because we, you know, we haven't got that much, you know, where does that leave us? And so they're a bit unsure now. And so Peter pipes up with a question, and he says to Jesus, Well, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? And he's a bit unsure now. Oh, no, what does it, you know, what does this really mean? And Jesus answers Peter in two ways. He gives him two answers. And the first one, he reassures him. And then the second one is he gives a little kind of gentle rebuke, not rebuke, gentle correction or a little warning uh, to him as well. And these two answers go together. So, The first thing, he reassures him, and he says this. Jesus says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he says this, and this is for everyone. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. And so Jesus gives this amazing promise to all followers of Jesus that as we follow him, sometimes there's sacrifices to be made, isn't there? As we put Jesus first in our lives, big things and small things. And Jesus promises that we can never outgive God and that his generosity is is amazing. And that whatever we give to God, he returns to us in abundance and way, way more. And it might not be the same thing, but he enriches our lives now and we give the amazing gift of eternal life, which is like the best thing ever, you know, which we're really living for. And so he reassures Peter. And it's funny here when Jesus says about giving up houses or brothers or sisters. And over the years, lots of people have asked me, what does it Jesus mean when he says, you know, you must leave your father and mother? And it doesn't make a lot of sense. But obviously, in the, for people who are reading this then, where there's a lot of persecution, and across the world today, where there's a lot of persecution and where people give their lives to Jesus, sometimes they are disowned by their family or they have to flee their homes or their property or their lives. And it's not that they want to abandon family, but sometimes that's the, the consequences. And Jesus, so if you were in that situation, this would be really reassuring to you. And so that's what Jesus is, is saying here. But it's also a reminder to us not to be afraid to sacrifice but sometimes as we put God first in our lives, there are things that we have to lay down or put to a side or uh, takes, you know, takes a risk. I was chatting with one of the youth recently, and he was saying how in his friends in school, 
that uh, he's shared with his faith with them, and they know he's a Christian, and they give him stick, like, all the time, like, every day, and it's really hard. And, uh, but the amazing thing is, he, whenever we do, like, a youth thing, he invites them, and one of them's not very well, and he offered to pray for him, and even prayed for his friend at school, despite the stick that he gets. And I thought it was really courageous and a, an amazing thing, and a, a little kind of sacrifice that people do. So, you know, well done, well done to him. So Jesus reassures Peter, but then he adds this second bit as well. And on the end he says, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. Then, And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And then he tells his parable. So I'll read it to you. Now sometimes we don't see these go together because they're in different chapters. But this parable is answering Peter's earlier question. So are you ready for it? Okay, so Jesus says, Many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Or another way, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Then he tells his story. For, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. And he said to them, will you also go and work in my vineyard? When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, which was a day's wage. So when those who were hired first came, They expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were only hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So I just want to take a, take a minute and just have a think. What do you think about this uh, parable? Whether you've heard it before or never before. Like what do you think? What's your like, gut reaction? And if you were listening, if you were there, like, what would you think about it you know, if you were listening to it then? And uh, which of the characters do you like, think, you know, oh, I, f- I feel like that? Do you know what I mean? So when you have a little chat with the person next to you, if you want. You don't have to. But if you want to, turn around to the people next to you and just have a little chat in a minute. Like, what do you think? What does this power make you think of? Well, 
that's what you agree to, so it's not exactly unfair to you if you didn't happen with that in the first place. And yeah, I guess we'll be like, oh, we'll be working all day, but. Okay, great. So, and that wasn't very long, but you can hear the natural hush that comes over. So anyway, I, I, I really love this parable, and I find, you know, when you read it, I don't know about you, but I begin to sympathize with the early workers. And, and it comes as a real shock, doesn't it? When, as it pans out, you're like, well, it's not very like Jesus. And, you know, it surprises you. But I think that's, you know, obviously that's what Jesus intended, didn't he? He wanted this parable to surprise people, but also to, you know, reorientate our hearts because, you know, God is so generous and so often we struggle to appreciate the generosity of God and we have this like fairness thing working up inside us, you know, and I love this verse where it says, this is another vision, but should you be jealous because I'm generous to others? And Jesus is, he's helping us to see from God's perspective that God is so generous towards us. And he invites us to live out of that towards others. And to share God's generous heart towards others. So as we unpack this, the parable, you know, the landowner, he represents God. And in this time of year, with the vineyards and stuff in Israel in September, this is how it used to be, I don't feel like it's today, but this would be harvest season now in September. And there'd be a real rush to gather in the harvest before the rains came and ruined it. And you'd have like a short window. And so this scenario of a landowner like going out and getting people, and even if people could just come for one hour, that was a typical scenario that would happen. But for these day laborers in the marketplace, theirs was a really precarious position. They would turn up and hope to get work. And some days they would, and some days they wouldn't. And, you know, it was a a difficult one. And they wouldn't always be guaranteed something. And they didn't have a, a lot of money to go by. And so when this landowner goes out and pulls these people in, and some of them have only worked an hour at the end of the day, if he wanted to, he could just pay them one hour's worth of a daily wage. But he knows that that's all they're going to get for that day. And that's not going to be enough to take home and buy food and give money to the ch- uh, you know, buy food for the family and buy food for the children. And so he wants to be generous. He wants to bless them. And also these guys, they've been staying, some of them have stayed out all day because no one's hired them. Well, how desperate are they for, for what they, you know, that they need that money, that they've waited all day till someone would come and hire them and they've, they've gone back out to try and find work. And so the landowner is showing compassion and he gives them more than they deserve because he wants to and because he's being generous, just like God is generous to us and has given us more than any of us deserve, simply because he loves us. This is a great passage in Ephesians where it says, God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. And God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit from this. It is a gift from God. 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so no one can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When I read passages like this, I just think, oh, what a relief, you know, that it's like, it's not down to me, but God loves me and has rescued me because he wanted to out of his generosity. I don't have to try and win God's approval because I'm already accepted and I'm already loved and he lavishes his mercy and his generosity on us. And isn't that a wonderful thing to keep hold of and to live out of? And it's that God, he wants to be generous. Do you find sometimes we can almost feel as if God forgives us begrudgingly, you know? But God wants to because he's generous. I love the land that says, I want to give the one who has hired last the same as you. God forgives us and welcomes us because he wants to. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. And it's a wonderful thing. So we never have to feel unsure of ourselves as we come before God. And we never have to hide from him because he wants to welcome us. And everyone is welcome to receive from God's generosity and his love and his forgiveness. And so these are two great things for us to remember. And what Jesus is trying to remind Peter of as he asks this question, that everything we have comes from God and not from our own merit. It's all from him. And also that he wants to. It comes from his generosity. And so when Peter says, we've given up everything, what will we get? On the one hand, Jesus is saying, yes, like well done. That's great and you will be rewarded. And I want to and I want to reassure you of that so you're not worried about it. But at the same time, don't start to think that, oh, I've done this for myself. And now I want to keep God's generosity just for me. And I deserve it because I've done these things. And then as I look out on others, would we'll be like, oh, no, they don't, they don't deserve it because they haven't done as much as me. Or, you know, this person doesn't deserve it because they only work one hour, whereas I've worked all day. Now, Jesus and his followers, they'd come up against this attitude already uh, when they'd been, um, Jesus had been traveling around and doing different things with the religious leaders. So Jesus, he'd been reaching people on all the margins of society, people who've been outcast, people who've been rejected, the, you know, the poor and the sick and the lame. And in that culture, people thought that that was like, as if that was your fault. That's sometimes what people thought. And then also people who you know, had made bad choices in their lives and had been rejected and ostracized because of that. But Jesus was reaching them and welcoming them into his group and ask, you know, and sharing God with them, God's promises and the things he has for them. And I love the story when Jesus calls Levi in Mark chapter 2, and Levi is sitting at his tax collector's booth. And obviously tax collectors were hated because they were working for the Romans and they were seen as traitors and they would often steal extra money for themselves and things. And you know, it, it was a, a, t- a terrible job in, in the day, you know. And, and Levi is sitting there collecting the taxes when Jesus goes up to him and says, hey, Levi, come and follow me. He's in the middle of doing it when Jesus calls him, you know. And Levi leaves his booth and follows Jesus straight away. And it says later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. And it's amazing what Jesus was doing. But the religious leaders, when they saw this, 
They didn't see it and think, wow, isn't that amazing? Look at all these people wanting to know more about God. Look at all these people experiencing God's love. Look at all these people listening to things about the kingdom. Look at all these people whose lives are being changed as they encounter Jesus. They weren't, they weren't thinking that. They were looking and thinking, well, we've been here and we've been keeping the law all of our lives and you know, we've earned a good reputation and we've spent our money well and, and Jesus, he's eating with these people and he's promising them eternal life and he's saying they're children of Abraham and he's commending them and he's saying they're going to enter the kingdom. That's not fair. What about us. And rather than seeing, wow, look at God's generosity, look at who is reaching. Everyone can be reached because of God's love. They're saying, oh, they don't deserve it. And Jesus comes up against this attitude time and time again. And so now he's, he's you know, warning Peter, don't, don't slip into this yourself. These Pharisees and the religious leaders, they forgot that it was the, that it all comes from God. Just like the early workers in the parable, they forgot that it was their own um, hiring was because of the landowner. They were pleased at the start of the day when the landowner went out and hired them because there was no guarantee they would get work. And in the parable, we see that they agreed the daily wage. They probably haggled for it. And uh, the landowner, you know, maybe not everyone would give a denarius, but the landowner was, yeah, I will give you... I'll give you the daily wage, so come and work for me. And they were happy at that point until they saw that others were getting the same as them. So it was not like they were, weren't happy with what they were getting. It was that others were being treated equally. That's what stirred it up, and they thought that was unfair. And this illustrates how envy makes our life small. That when we envy others, we can't appreciate what we already have, and our lives begin to focus in on ourselves, and what I have and what I want, and these early workers weren't able to see the generosity of the landowner that he was blessing others, and so they weren't able to appreciate what they already had, and they weren't able to enjoy it, and they weren't able to celebrate and be happy for the others who were being blessed. And it, rob, it robs us. There's a great proverb here from Proverbs 11. And it says, it talks about how envy makes our lives small. But being, living with a generous heart enlarges our lives and allows us to share in the joy of others and in God's joy and generosity. It says this, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will be enriched Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And it's not just, you know, it's not talking about financial things here, although that, that could be one thing, but it's talking about, you know, our lives, living out of a generous heart, and how a generous heart enlarges our heart, that we can share in God's love for others and God's blessing for others and celebrate those things too. Now, it's interesting here that Jesus, he isn't addressing the religious leaders. He's addressing Peter and Peter's question, and Peter is like um, the, an example of the disciples. So when Jesus is addressing Peter, it's something for us. So when we look at it, we don't think, oh yeah, that was the religious leader's problem. We want to think, oh, well, what, what do we take from this? How does this speak into my life? And to remember God's generosity towards us and how we can extend that out towards others. One of my favorite examples of this 
is a lady called Corrie Ten Boom, and I've shared one of her stories before. But uh, she lived a, an amazing life. She was, um, lived in Holland, and during the Second World War, she, would hi- she was hiding uh, Jews from the Nazis with her sister in their house, and then eventually they got caught and found out, and they were taken to a concentration camp. And uh, obviously it was terrible. And then while they were there, Corey's sister Betsy um, passed away. They were there for a number of years, and obviously with the treatment and everything. Um, she passed away. Um, Corey survived, and after the war, began to go around and speak on forgiveness and healing and to bring reconciliation in the places that she lived, in the areas that she lived in things, and sharing her story and the miracles that she'd seen. And then one day she says how in 1947, so just two years after the end of the war, she was in Munich and she was speaking on forgiveness and sharing about God's love and how that is for everyone to draw into. And then at the end of the talk, a former prison guard came up to speak to her who worked at that camp. And the prison guard didn't recognize her, but she recognized him straight away. She knew who it was. And the prison guard came up to her and said, thank you for your message. I've become a Christian. And I know God's forgiven me for the things I've done wrong. And I've been asking him for the opportunity to meet someone from one of the camps so I could ask them to forgive me. Will you forgive me? And he held out his hand for her to shake his hand. And Corrie Temboon says, that's as she was standing there looking at him. She says, I stood there and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? I could not. It, and Yeah, I could not. And she says, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. And I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being bringing tears to my eyes I forgive you brother I cried with all my heart and for a long moment we grasped each other's hand the former guard and the former prisoner I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then isn't that amazing and Jesus grace It's like nothing else in the world. And no one is outside of where Jesus' greats can reach. And God loves every single person in this world. And every single person, he wants them to know his love and his forgiveness. And no one is outside of his reach. And many times for us, we are called to extend that reach out to others. And God invites us to look out at one another and look out in the people of the world with the generosity of God's heart and to see people as God sees them and to extend that grace to others and to reach them so that they can experience it for themselves and for one another as well. Okay, so 
great verse of Colossians here. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. So as I finish out, two kind of practical ways that we can extend this. One's kind of an easy one, and then the next one's maybe more of a challenging one. So the first one, an easy one, is for us here as a church together, is that we continue to have a welcoming heart towards others and to welcome others continually. And over the years, as the church has grown, when we, you know, the church started with just seven people 27 years ago, 28 years ago, and obviously the church has grown since then. And as the church grows, we have to continually adjust to make room for others and to welcome others and change what we do and mix it up and so that people can grow and, and all these things. And sometimes it means we've got to put down our preferences to welcome others, and that's a good thing. And that's for us to continue to live out of that heart and that attitude. So one example in the last few years, and they'll be coming back in a couple of weeks, is we've got loads of students in the church over the last few years, which is amazing. And as a church, you guys are doing a brilliant job in welcoming them, doing the student lifts Every week, you know, people going down in their cars so that students can get here and we can welcome new students and so they can find a church. Um, There's lots of churches in the city that they can, you know, make sure wherever they go, they find one quickly. Doing the student lunches and cooking and giving up your afternoons and all those kind of things. And simple things, but important things. So thank you. Just want to encourage you and say, let's continue to, to welcome, to welcome others and extend generosity. Or for example, you know, in our small groups, Every few years, as the church grows, we've got to shuffle the small groups around so we can make room and make you know, room for more people and have new small groups. And as the years go by, we get really close with our small group, don't we? And when it comes time to change them, that can be a challenge that, oh, you know, all my friends are here. But it's good that we welcome others and make new friends and continually make room for others. And that's really important, isn't it? So let's continue to do that. I remember when uh, I was 15 years old, and uh, in part of the church here as a youngster, and uh, there wasn't many young people at the time when the church was newer and things. And I was, didn't have any, yeah, there wasn't really any youth my age. And so there's a big gap to the ones behind, like years behind. So at 15, I got put into one of the adult small groups because uh, there wasn't really a youth and stuff. And uh, there was Mike and Rach and Cy and Suzanne and Ben and Hannah, and they were all you know, loads older than me, and, uh, and uh, you know, they were like ancient already, and, uh, but, yeah, but, you know, they, but they accommodated me in their group, and they made me feel welcome, they encouraged me and supported me, and, you know, we were in very different phases of life, and they could have been, oh, you know, we've got a, you know, teenager in the group, you know what I mean, but they, they went like, and I really appreciate how they made room for me, and that's something we do well here, and I just want to encourage us in that, to keep going. In, uh, Okay, and then the next one then. Okay, a little harder one maybe. I love this verse here. Should you be jealous because I'm generous to others? And this is a verse that that lives in me and it's like stuck in my mind over the years because I think it's easy at times, and I know I do, to feel like the early workers in the story. And uh, when, when God's blessing someone else, and maybe it's something that you've been praying for or long for or looking for or... Sometimes, because we're human, that, oh, that's not fair, rises up. Have you experienced that? I've just been, you know, I experienced that. And um, this is a great verse to reorientate our hearts when that feeling comes. Because that feeling can be, is a natural feeling, but let's not give in to that. Um, so for me, for example, I remember, 
you know, in my uh, early 20s, and I mean, I'm still in my 20s, just, um, but basically, yeah, you know, as a teenager in the early 20s, I, I really you know, wanted to get married one day. And um, yeah, I've been a, been a Christian through school and uni and things, and a lot of my friends in my early 20s, you know, had met people and we're, and we're getting married, and that was great, and that was great to celebrate, but, it, but I wasn't, and that was something I really wanted to, and sometimes that'd be a challenge, and you'd be like, oh, why is it not happening for me? And sometimes I'd have friends where, uh, you know, at uni or something, they, they became a Christian, and that was amazing, and then six weeks later, they met another Christian, they were dating, and then two years later, they were married, and I'm like, oh, you know, I've been a Christian of like, you know... 20 years, like, we you know, what's going to happen to me, whatever, you know, and, uh, and I think we can all experience this feeling in different areas of our lives at different times, isn't it, you know, and this is a great parable to reorientate our heart, and there's, there's three, three little steps that we can take, and the first one is to trust, to trust God and his goodness for our lives, you know, we live in this comparison culture, don't we, where you know, we're always looking around. Just like Tim said, sometimes life is, can almost be like a competition, but it's not a competition. And uh, let's not fall into this comparison culture. I love this verse in Philippians. It says, God began doing a good work in you, and I'm sure he will continue it until it is finished when Jesus comes again. And so for us is to trust God's goodness in our own lives and to know that God has called us, and none of us are forgotten by God, and he sees us every day, and he has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives that we can trust, and we come back to him and trust him. Here we go. Um, number two, then, is to practice gratitude. That we trust God for what he's doing in our lives, and then we practice gratitude, and we thank God for who he is and all he has done for us. And we thank him and appreciate all the blessings that we have and the wonderful things that God does. And as we thank God, it's in that place that we can bring our questions to him and our concerns to him. And as we do that in that place, he fills our hearts with his peace and his love. And we can bring those concerns and pains and difficulties and longings to God in that place of thankfulness, and that's where God brings healing, in that, in that place. So in Philippians 4, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so as we practice gratitude and bring these things to God openly and honestly, he fills our hearts with his Holy Spirit. He brings healing, he brings strength, he gives us a vision for our future, he comforts and he empowers. And it empowers us to move forward and not be tied up and anxious about these things. And then the third thing, and this is a choice then, is to celebrate God's generosity towards others. So Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we thank God for his blessing on others. You know, thank you God that you're doing this in this person's life. Thank you God that this person has, you know, passed their exam. I thank you God that, you know, this person has got that job. I thank you and we thank God and we celebrate and we share in their joy and share in God's joy and God's generosity over them. And as we do that, it enlarges our life and we can share in God's blessing to others as well as God's blessing to us. 
which is a wonderful thing. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills our heart and he empowers us to do that. Because when we align our hearts with God's heart and we align our hearts with what God is blessing, he blesses that and we get to share in that. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And God wants us to share in his joy and the joy that he sees over others and the joy that he gets as others experience his generosity and blessing. And we can share in that joy as well as the joy that we get from God with what he's doing in our lives. Does that make sense? So we can share in it all, which is brilliant because we get triple joy. We get our joy, we get others' joy, and we get God's joy. And our joy is complete. Amazing. So this is a great parable, a great one to remember. Hopefully those practical things may help. And, um, and yeah, and you can discuss it over lunch. So why don't we pray? Yeah, Lord, we thank you um, that you're so generous, God, that you're so generous and that each one of us, you love And that you're working in each person's life. And no one is out of your sight. And no one is beyond your reach. And I pray and ask, Holy Spirit, that right now today, you would empower us to see people with your eyes. That wherever we are, we would see people with your generous heart. And we would extend that out to others. I thank you, Lord, that nothing we receive from you is just for us, but you want to give everything away and everything you know, that we receive to give to others. And I pray, would you empower us to do that in our own lives, in our family, and together as a church, that we would be a generous people just like you. Amen.